0: Kuala
1: Lumpur, federal capital of Malaya, prepares for a celebration. The day of Madurka, which means independence.
0: It's 1957, and Malaya had just gained independence from British colonial rule. A time of fervent national pride and optimism was tempered by prevailing uncertainties. The future of Asia was anyone's guess. Most of it appeared unpromising except for Japan, which was emerging as a formidable force. In Southeast Asia, people respected Japan's rising prowess.
1: Amidst the backdrop of a storm in Kuala Lumpur, Tan Yuet-Fo stood soaking in the rain. Rumor had it that the president of Nissan was at the new Japanese embassy in Malaya. Little was known about Tan Yuet-Fo, other than that he was a typical Chinese-Malaysian with limited influence. Yet, there he was, outside the embassy, hoping for a chance to pitch to the Nissan president. And, by the looks of it, he had been waiting for close to 14 hours. Finally, he might have his shot. Excuse me? What was that? Who's talking? Excuse me? Hey! Stop there! Uh, are you the president of Nissan?
0: Yeah. Hey, let him through.
1: To be honest, that was pretty reckless. Tan Ued Fo could have harmed the president of Nissan. But he took a bet either way.
0: Please, let me sell Nissan cars in Kuala Lumpur. You? And why would I do that? Just give me the chance to sell a few cars and I'll show you what we can do.
1: The president was old enough to remember the stories of Nissan. Yoshisuke Ayukawa had once concealed his academic achievements to work in an American factory. Blending Western knowledge with Japanese tenacity, he designed the initial models that laid the foundation for Nissan's global dominance. In other words, Nissan was built on the willingness to take hardship. And as far as the president could tell, the man seemed soaked through in the rain. He must have waited outside for hours.
0: Hmm, you know what? Let's see how far you go with this. From 1UP Media, this is empires episode two of a four-part series up for grabs Asia's most valuable startup grab is seconds away from being listed on the nasdaq the deal is the largest spec listing globally worth close to 55 billion singapore dollars
1: Anthony stirred from his sleep, echoes of his grandfather's tale lingering in his mind. That story had been the cornerstone of Tan Chong Motors, propelling their family to the ranks of Malaysia's elite. It must have been the late 2000s, shortly before his Harvard MBA. Like many, Anthony was headed to work, but his day started before dawn at 4.30 a.m. Being born into wealth came with its own burdens, especially the legacy of the family name. Anthony Tan, born
0: in 1982 in Kuala Lumpur to Tan Heng Chu, the head of Chong Motors, was the youngest of three brothers. Tales of his grandparents and the early days of Chong Motors were household staples. From his grandfather's perseverance in the rain his grandmother's compassion for leprosy patients, these narratives left a mark. By the age of six, Anthony was already telling friends about his business aspirations. Remarkably, his entrepreneurial spirit showed early. At eleven, he traded X-Men comics. And by fourteen, he was fundraising. For charity, of course. These ventures shaped his perspective Approach business with creativity and always believe a yes is within reach. This philosophy would be integral to Grab's approach, from recruiting drivers to penetrating new markets. Though his formative years were mostly playful, they took a serious turn when his father began grooming him for a role at Tanchong Motors.
1: Serving as his father's personal assistant Anthony gained privileged access to confidential company documents. This exposure honed his skill in quickly digesting complex reports. On more than one occasion, he responded to queries, leaving even senior executives taken aback. It was in this role that he encountered an underperforming senior, providing a pivotal lesson in recognizing when it's time for a team member to depart. Anthony's trajectory within the company continued upward, eventually overseeing assembly and managing suppliers for Nissan car parts. All signs pointed to him being groomed as a successor of Tan Chong Motors. Until a pivotal trip to Harvard had him lose both the interests, then subsequently, the Tan family privileges. Listen and try again.
0: As life sped by, Anthony experienced a roller coaster of emotions. At its height, he had met his co founder, Tan Hui Ling, in Harvard, where they conceived the idea for MyTaxi, the precursor for Grab. Inspired by Hui Ling's terrible experience taking a taxi in Kuala Lumpur, they realized that this presented an opportunity. If they could connect taxi drivers to passengers smoothly via an app, they could create a better, safer experience, since the app fixed prices and shared information with family and friends. Best of all, if they could get enough drivers to use the app, passengers could get a more efficient system. It was a no-brainer, except that Malaysia faced Two glaring structural issues. 40% of Malaysians were off the grid. And an astounding 70% did not use smartphones. Least of all, taxi drivers. He would need to solve these issues first.
1: Initially, it seemed that maybe he could tap on his family's heritage. But as the heir to Tanchong Motors, his decision to pivot away seemed irresponsible. His father disowned him, but his mother provided him financial support. Worst of all, his co-founder, Hui Ling, had to serve her two-year bond with McKinsey that left Anthony worried. How could a vision that promised mutual benefit seem on the verge of collapse before it even began? Either way, he had no time to think about this He only had a small window of opportunity with Hui Ling today. And they were about to meet Datuk Asla Abdullah.
0: Details of their interactions are murky, as is common with startups in emerging markets. The transition to the digital realm and eventual IPOs often leads to rewritten histories. But luckily for us, some echoes of their past still remain. Datuk Asla, owner of Destination Transport, commands one of Malaysia's largest taxi fleets today, with around 1,000 taxis under the comfort brand. Back then, he still boasted a fleet size of 500.
1: Anthony cleared his throat. throat.
0: Thank you for meeting us today, Datuk. We truly appreciate your time.
1: Datuk Asla nodded, his seasoned eyes keenly observing the pair.
0: I heard you have something interesting to discuss. Let's hear it.
1: We've been working on an app, MyTaxi. It's designed to connect passengers with taxi drivers seamlessly. Our vision is to provide a safer, more transparent taxi experience for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, and given the issues with connectivity and smartphone usage, especially among drivers, we plan to start small. We're targeting a launch in June 2012, and for that, we need a fleet to begin with.
1: Datuk Asla leaned back, processing their pitch. A brief smile crossed his face.
0: Hmm, I remember your grandfather. He supported me when I started my taxi business. We've come a long way since then. Yes, my grandfather believed in helping promising ventures. We hope to bring in that same sense of trust and innovation with my taxi.
1: Datuk Asla pondered for a moment, looking between Anthony and Hui Ling.
0: Okay, here's the deal. I'm willing to support your launch with 30 to 40 taxis from my fleet. Let's see where this goes.
1: In June 2012, My Taxi was launched in Kuala Lumpur with a supporting fleet of taxis and the slogan, I like it safe and I like it fast. As the banners hit the street, Anthony would chuckle to himself.
0: I hope no one thinks this is fur.
1: <laughs> Durex. Despite the successful launch, it was still a drop in the ocean, where reportedly 38,000 taxis are operational. To really thrive, they would need to onboard more taxis fast, and Anthony has got to hustle. Like his grandfather before him, who stood 14 hours in the rain, Anthony was about to do the same.
0: Have you ever stood out in the rain on the busy streets of Kuala Lumpur? It's almost as tiring as producing this podcast. If you want to help, do give us a five-star review. It really does help others find the show. Oh, hey, look.
1: Anthony's getting ready.
0: Hi, Uncle. You want free nasi lemak?
1: Nasi lemak is a flavorful dish with rich coconut rice, spicy sambal, and crunchy mix-ins. In other words, it is hard to reject the offer.
0: Uh, Okay, okay, sure.
1: The taxi driver answered skeptically.
0: But I don't want to buy insurance, huh? No, 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 no. Don't worry. Actually, all I want is to tell you about our new app. App? Yeah, come. Let me show you.
1: He began opening the presentation to the taxi driver, showing how a few clicks could help him find a passenger.
0: Wow, this app is quite smart, huh? But I don't have this smartphone. I don't think can. Uncle...
1: Anthony smiled.
0: Here's a smartphone for you to use. We already got a data plan for you. You sure you're not selling insurance?
1: In the early days after Harvard, Anthony's journey with Grab was filled with hustle. He'd set up booths at gas stations, a hotspot for taxi drivers, pitching the benefits of the Grab app. To grab their attention, he'd offer them food and drinks. And eventually provide them with smartphones and data plans cheaply. This strategy proved to be a game changer in user acquisition. Drawing from his experience in car assembly, where he sourced parts, Anthony identified various smartphone manufacturers and sellers to buy phones in bulk at a lower cost. This gesture won over many taxi drivers, making Anthony's offer irresistible. It seemed that all was set, if not for his family heritage, coming back to haunt him.
0: In the late 1950s, after securing a contract with Nissan, Tan Yuet Fo partnered with his older brother, Tan Kim Hor, to launch Tan Chong and Son's motor company. Starting with simple bicycle-distributed brochures, their efforts birthed a family dynasty. However, by 1985, with Tanyuet Foss passing, leadership shifted to his children and Kim Hor. Soon, whispers circulated that Foss' children started sidelining their uncle in company decisions, leading to family rifts. By 2002, the tension hit the headlines. Kim Hoare was ousted from the company board through strategic plays by his own nieces and nephews. After a contentious seven-year battle, they reached an out-of-court settlement. But the scars remained. For Anthony Tan, this family history became a burden in 2011. Losing his father's support and being the grandson of Tan Pho made him A susceptible target. As Grab expanded, Anthony faced unexpected challenges, whispers of sabotage, and mysterious roadblocks. He went as far as labeling some of these adversaries blue-collar criminals and began mobilizing police reports against them. Amid this turmoil, one ally stood out.
1: Andy Mills, Anthony's spiritual advisor whose influence on Grab became undeniable. While not publicly hidden, few actually understand that Anthony is deeply rooted in his faith. One stating,
0: Jesus was just the most, bar none, incredible leader of all time
1: and in some sources even attribute Grab as a product of God's work. So influenced is Anthony and subsequently Grab that when the LGBTQ movement gained traction in tech companies, Anthony grappled with finding a faith-aligned response. In collaboration with his head of people, they introduced Love All Serve All Day, an extra paid leave day. This initiative aimed to embrace diversity while maintaining what he believes to be a Christ-centered approach. Guiding Anthony in merging faith with business is Andy Mills, former president and CEO of Thompson Financial Group. When faced with fierce competition, Andy Mills posed a challenge to him. How would
0: Jesus handle my taxi?
1: His influence would eventually be more than just a whisper to Anthony as he would become a member on the Board of the Rectors for close to five years.
0: These days, the association is less well-drawn. After all, Andy Mills was sued over alleged fraud. Grasping this facet of Anthony is vital, for it sheds light on the tug-of-war between his spiritual commitment and his aggressive business tactics, especially in Grab's rivalry with Uber. While they frequently collaborate with partners to benefit society, they also sometimes operate in legal grey zones. As Grab struggled through 2012, Uber was turning its attention to the East.
1: In 2008, on a chilly Paris night, Travis Kalanick and Garrett Camp, two computer engineers, couldn't find a taxi despite numerous attempts.
0: This is ridiculous!
1: Kalanick probably yelled.
0: We've sent rockets up to the moon 30 years ago, and we
1: can't even send a taxi here? Yeah, I hear you, replied Garrett.
0: You know, UberCab would have solved this problem.
1: Months back, Garrett was blacklisted by almost all of the cab companies around San Francisco. The reason? For calling too many companies too many times and only hopping onto the one that arrives first. After his ban, Garrett was driven both by the market potential and perhaps a hint of revenge. He conceptualized Uber Cab, an app linking users to a fleet of luxury cars An idea yet to be realized. As they finally hailed a taxi, with the cold still nipping at them, their conversation shifted to this groundbreaking idea. They discussed logistics and potential operations.
0: This idea is going to fly. I'm thinking of buying a fleet of Mercedes S-Class cars.
1: Garrett grinned.
0: And who's going to maintain them, then?
1: Kalanik countered.
0: That's a good question. I see many models out there. We could get a small group of engineers to drive scale- Yeah. why do we even need to own cars? It's too asset-heavy, man. Think about it. If the idea flies, we'll need more cars. We should just use existing drivers. Give them something to do during their downtime and make some money.
1: Garrett realizes that this possibly solves everything. And after several iterations, Uber Cab was launched in 2009. A year later, they began operations in San Francisco and swiftly expanded to New York, conquering America from coast to coast. By 2012, they hit London and Amsterdam, spreading across the Western Hemisphere.
0: Like Grab. Uber adopted their founder's personality. Most of all, Kalanick's ask for forgiveness rather than permission approach. This attitude resonated with the new generation who were experiencing the joys of an egalitarian shift brought about by the internet. In other words, the youth enjoyed breaking rules and Uber was a rebel. By the end of 2012, They were in over 20 locations and began turning their eye eastwards towards China, India, and Southeast Asia. Their growth was explosive, reaching a valuation of 3.5 billion US dollars in just four years.
1: Back in China, word on the street was that Uber was coming to town prompting local contender Didi Chusing to rise as the national champion. With its tenacity, ethos, and purpose, Didi gained significant traction, delighting early backers and causing regret among those who had passed on the opportunity. Among the regretful was Vertex, a venture capital fund. Recognizing their oversight, They analyzed their misstep and promptly relayed their findings to their Southeast Asian branch.
0: Interesting.
1: Chua Keelock might have murmured to himself. Keelock is an unassuming Singaporean who happens to be the chief executive of Vertex since 2008. Coming from a humble pedigree, he took the company media ring public at $1.5 billion in 1999. The first internet company listed on SGX without profit or substantial revenue. Back at his desk, Chua Kee Lok instructed his team.
0: Scan the Malaysia, Indonesia, and Singapore markets. We need to find players similar to Didi.
1: A few hours in, the team landed on MyTaxi, helmed by Anthony Tan. Hmm,
0: this has potential. Fast forward a few weeks, and Anthony and Keelock were having dinner, where the latter observed a disagreement between Anthony and his mother playing out. He saw in Anthony a devoted, teachable son. Vertex was now keen to delve deeper into Anthony's venture. As the duo exchanged insights and delved into the metrics, Vertex uncovered some astonishing truths.
1: Drivers using the MyTaxi app in Malaysia saw an increase in revenue, some as impressive as 67% compared to traditional hailing, achieving this with 20% fewer hours. For users, the growth was consistent, and the emergence of the Super MyTaxi user was notable. Within just a year, those booking more than 9 times a month surged from a mere 1% to 14%. When sizing up Southeast Asia's taxi industry, it was estimated that there were around 300,000 taxis in major cities. Given Anthony's zeal and MyTaxi's operational strengths, they projected a 25% market share, an estimate that seems conservative now given Grab's current 70% dominance in the region.
0: Back then, however, Such a conservative projection felt justified given looming challenges. Vertex observed emerging competitors. Gojek, Easy Taxi, numerous startups, and the elephant in the room, Uber, rumored to have just onboarded their first Southeast Asian employee in Singapore. After months of analysis, by summer 2013, Vertex announced its investment in Grab, becoming its first institutional backer with a $2.15 million infusion. This Vertex investment was crucial. It opened the floodgates for other investors, validating Grab's potential. But such backing wasn't without strings attached. Vertex believed Grab needed to sprint nonstop to stay ahead. This running as fast as it can philosophy would eventually take its toll on Anthony Tan as competition truly intensifies. The battle for ride hailing would lead to one of the largest cash bleeds within the region, while sending the tired, exhausted, and eventually collapsed Anthony Tan straight to the ER. From 1UP Media, this is Empires, Episode 2 of a 4-part series, Up for Grabs. Next on Empires, we'll witness how Uber moves fast into Southeast Asia, and the pivotal investments that transform Grab, but also exhaust its founder, Anthony Out. Follow us so you won't miss out on episode 3 of our four part series. Running till empty. Empires is a one up media original produced and written by Guang Jin. Edited by Alex. Audio experience by Ethan Sam. Additional engineering by Ashley from 1UP Media. And narrated by Luis Cruz and Claire Bernal. International research by Sonia, Kuyet, and Jiamin from 1UP Media. A quick word on our reenactments and dramatizations. While we can't know exactly what they say, think, or feel at the moment, it is all based on research. Thank you for listening.